So when reading scripture, it's always to have co- good to have context. So thank you for the extended reading this morning. I do want to finish out uh, verses three, uh, 13 through 17 very quickly. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the fr- first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave eternal comfort and good, good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Or the Lord. So friends, there are parts of scripture that are hard. And then there's the second book of Thessalonians. <laughs> this morning we're going to explore these, this passage together and see what our Lord Jesus Christ has for us this morning. So, they were worn out. They were exhausted and beat up. They were burned out. And that was before they heard this new teaching. No one really knew where it came from, but it leaked into their gatherings a viral, viral rumor built to destroy. The one thing they were holding on to, the hope that made the suffering have meaning was that Jesus would return and make everything right. And now, they were told, Jesus had already come. So what was the point of any of it then? Why hope? Why try? Now I think Most of us, maybe all of us, can identify with working really, really hard at something, putting your whole work and effort and life into it, and then maybe someone coming along and telling you, ah, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It was for nothing. Imagine that. Imagine what that would feel like to to work so hard at something and then be told, that doesn't matter. It's for nothing. We would feel devastated, listless, like a boat without a rudder. That's sort of what the church of Thessalonica was feeling. This little city in northern Greece, a small community struggling in the midst of persecution for their faith. So you can imagine that if someone took their reason for enduring away, they would feel pretty distraught. Needless to say, this was faith-shaking for them. Now Paul deals with this uh, new teaching in two ways. In verses 3 through 8, he tells them three things that must happen before Jesus' victorious return. So because these things haven't happened, they can trust that God is faithful and with them and their struggle has purpose. And then in verses 10 through 17, he, he reveals to them, he sort of breaks open the, what the world, what's really going on in the world. He gives a vivid reminder of the cosmic battle between, the, between Satan and the Lord. And he exhorts them and encourages them that they are beloved, chosen, and filled by the Holy Spirit. And that they can keep running. They can keep the good fight up. So that's the basic gist of 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 17. What's it have to do with us? Because I don't know about you guys, but it's not exactly wearing on me. It's not always at the forefront of my mind whether Jesus has already come. I can't identify with that fear. But there are plenty of things that shake my sense 
of God's goodness and, self and, his, self and his sufficiency for me. Now, we could turn to a lot of different teachings, a lot of different things in our culture, but the one thing I want to I look at this morning um, is this, this pervasive and really persuasive teaching that just permeates our lives. Whether you know it or not, it's this thing called that Mark Sayers calls expressive individualism, which in short is the belief that we define ourselves and make ourselves happy. Now, I know the words expressive individualism sounds terribly boring, so let me uh, allow Lady Gaga to take uh, uh, a quote for a minute. Don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. Thus saith Lady Gaga. Beyonce also likes to pipe in on this. Your self-worth is determined by you. You don't have to depend on someone telling you who you are. You define who you are. You make yourself happy. Or a guy named Roy Bennett, this is just a good quote, no idea who this guy is. Follow your heart. You can almost hear it as a song. Listen to your inner voice. Stop caring about what others think. <laughs> Friends, if this is true, if this gospel of, self, uh, of expressive individualism is true, why do we need Jesus? If this is really the truth, what's the point of growing in Christ Putting, uh, witnessing, loving God and others, putting all this work and effort into the di spiritual disciplines of Christianity, if I can just define myself, save myself, and follow myself. Frankly, there isn't. If that's the truth, the gospel isn't true. So like the Thessalonians, we need a vision of reality that will help us cut through the lie and seek the truth. And that is what Paul offers them and us this morning. He shows us that in a world, in this world, there are two ways of life. The way of lawlessness and the way of Christ. And we have to choose one of them. The fact is that, friends, we've got to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan sings. And the truth is that if we aren't serving Jesus Christ, we're serving the devil there isn't a third option. Now to see this in our passage and to dig a little more into our text this morning, we're going to look at the man of lawlessness and the lawful king and then consider the two ways of life that they represent. So this morning we're going to turn first to the man of lawlessness in those first few verses, 3 through 8. Now friends, I have to warn you. There's like a, a, a Surgeon General's warning on this sermon this is a difficult passage. It's really difficult. If you think you figured it out your first reading, you didn't, I could guarantee you, both in content and in tone. Now, I don't understand everything Paul says. If Peter didn't understand everything Paul says, I definitely don't. And what I do understand is not exactly dancing through the daisy feel, fields, feeling good feels. You know, it's not, this isn't happy, happy, joy, joy passage. Why is Paul so serious or why so serious? <laughs> Friends, Paul is serious because Paul loves the church. And he loves Jesus. So he doesn't pull any punches. He tells the truth in love. So, to correct these false teachings, Paul tells the Thessalonians the, that three things must happen before Jesus' return. Something called the rebellion must occur. 
uh, this man of lawlessness must be revealed. And that's going to happen after this restrainer is no longer restraining the man of lawlessness. And after that happens, Jesus will snuff him out with the breath, mouth, uh, breath of his mouth. Pretty cool, right? All right. So we can approach this passage in two ways now. We can say, oh, cool, thanks, Jesus. Now I don't know I don't have to worry. Or I can be like, oh, man, that's a lot of things to keep track of. I'm going to be really anxious and, and try to figure out who's the man of lawlessness or what's the rebellion or is that the man of lawlessness or am I the man of lawlessness? No. Paul doesn't give us details, and I think he actually blesses us without the details. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage isn't to try to figure out who, when this is going to happen, the point is that God is in control. The Thessalonians don't have to worry or believe these false teachings. And to focus in a little more for our purposes today, we want to look at what the man, the, uh, we want to look at, excuse me, uh, the man of lawlessness and see that he is a physical representation of the mystery of lawlessness that is already at work in the world. So, man of lawlessness, mystery of lawlessness. That's what we're going to look at today. He is the, so the man of lawlessness is this climax point. He, he represents evil and chaos in the world. He's the personification of evil. So if, if he is, what does evil do? According to Paul, this man of lawlessness will set himself up as God. The God above all gods, in fact, and proclaim himself to be God. In this, he expresses the, the bent and broken impulse of every human being after the fall. He brings to fruition that desire of Adam and Eve to be like God. The desire to be like God, then, friends, is the mystery of lawlessness. This man of lawlessness is kind of like the Joker from Batman. Now, I haven't seen the new Joker, so I can't speak to this, but I'm thinking of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Joker. This Joker was an agent of chaos who wanted to destroy things just for the heck of it. He was a child of destruction, if you will. And all this one is also kind of like Sauron in The Lord of the Rings, who sets himself as a godlike being ruling over Middle-earth. And now, friends, you could just think of your favorite hero-villain story, and that villain is kind of like the man of, God, uh, the, the man of lawlessness. What's really interesting about our passage, friends, is that the, this work of lawlessness that the man of lawlessness represents is already at work in the Thessalonian church. So think about it. When the Thessalonians were tempted by false teaching, they were, that was the mystery of lawlessness at work. Because the mystery of lawlessness pulls us away from Christ. It pulls us away from God. It sets ourselves up in God's place. They were tempted by a false teaching that distracted them from the walk, their walk in Christ and sapped them of perseverance under persecution. It made them doubt God's goodness and sufficiency. And this, friends, to bring it back to our own day, is exactly what expressive individualism does. It forces us to look to ourselves, to save ourselves, to define ourselves. We hear it all the time. You be you. Still can't believe I've said that before. <laughs> but I have. Follow your heart. Define yourself. I grew up hearing that. Just you go be the best you that you can be. 
every commercial and Disney movie, friends, says in some way that you are to desire and define yourself. Be who you are, and don't you dare let anyone else tell you what that is. Friends, expressive individualism means being your own God. <clears throat> when we say, I will define what I am, who I am and make myself happy, we are doing what the man of lawlessness will do. We are setting ourselves up on our own throne, on that altar, and saying, I am God over all. <clears throat> we are participating in the mystery of lawlessness. Friends, our culture has said that God is dead, and so we make ourselves God, and far be it from any of you to tell me that I'm not. But maybe you're thinking this morning, eh, it's just out, out there. This doesn't infect Christians, right? Friends, it's here. It is here, too, right in the midst of us. The really scary things, friends, is that Christianity is so easily co-opted by this message. For some people, if we look to God, they just look to God to help them feel good about themselves. If we do this, if we like, God, just tell me how great I am today. Tell me that I'm doing okay. Maybe we're treating God rather as Santa Claus than God. Friends, this isn't God. That's an idol when we treat God that way. The gospel of your best life now is nothing more than self-idolatry wrapped in religion. This is the mystery of lawlessness in the church. Most of this doesn't happen on sort of our conscious level. We're not just thinking, okay, I'm going to be God today. I'm going to set myself up and, and, and uh, make myself God. It's happening on the subconscious level. It's happening beneath that. We're in our desires and what we long for and what we hope for. And we find our meaning and value. Here's an example from my own life. And this took many years of reflection to sort of come to this example. So please, uh, appreciate it. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I loved playing computer games. I love being the center of the plot line of my RP, I'm not going to get this right, those role-playing games where you're the first shooter. I loved being the creator of Roller Coaster, Parks, Roller Coaster Tycoon, it was amazing, and the genius strategist behind my battle campaigns. I loved it. I loved, you know, what's so interesting about, these, about video games is they, they, you're the center of the universe. You're the hero. You're the one that's going to make all things right or create a really cool park that everybody's going to love. You're going to make lots of money. But being the little god of these little worlds wasn't enough for me. It just wasn't quite satisfying. I wanted total freedom and power. If I'm god, where, why the limits? So I found as many cheat codes as I could to get as much money as I could and be as invincible as I could. I was god without restraints. The ultimate roller coaster tycoon, if you will. Friend, we, friends, we all want to be God without the consequences. We all want life hacks and cheat codes that allow us to express ourselves in whatever way we define ourselves in that moment. That's where our desires are, without Christ. This is the mystery of lawlessness at work. And we can see it clearly because Paul teaches the Thessalonians about the man of lawlessness who is yet to be revealed. 
And this man of lawlessness is the anti-human, the anti-Christ. He is the opposite of what humanity was created for. Because, friends, we were created to find happiness in God, not in ourselves. And so because God loves us, he sent his son the first time to deal with our sin on the cross. And the second time, he will come to deal the final blow to evil. So let's turn now to the character of the lawful king in verse 8. Now, friends, if you've read Paul at all, sometimes he can be a little didactic, have really long sentences that are hard to follow. But this verse is pure poetry. Let me read it again. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. This isn't exactly your pasty white buddy Jesus, is he? But he isn't exactly a bloody warrior hero, hero Jesus either. He's more like a regal king or ruler who changes everything just by entering the room. You all know, maybe you do, don't, maybe you do, the, the final battle scene of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Cam and I'm looking at you. Just finished that book. Either read or watched, Harry and Voldemort are dueling, locked in mortal combat. And when Voldemort's final killing curse backfires on him, he slowly disintegrates into dust as the wind blows him away. This is what the cosmic Lord and Savior will do to evil and the lawless one when he returns, but he'll do it without the battle. The very lordly presence of the Savior of the universe will dispel the lawless one into nothing. With the ease of blowing a candle out, friends, Jesus will conquer evil and the lawless one. In one Alpha Talk, Nikki Gumbel talks about how many people have a hard time believing in God, but it is easy to believe in the evil. We only need to look at the news at just the last century of human history, or maybe even the darker thoughts in our minds and hearts, to say, yes, evil is real. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who took all evil and death and sin in his death and judged them, will bring a complete end to evil and injustice with the breath of his mouth, with his very appearing. This is mind-blowing, friends. This is amazing. This is truly good news. I want to be a part of that, right? Who wants to be a part of that? Who wants to see that? Who wants to be there for this? We all want to see evil destroyed and justice reign. We, this is such a deep desire of humanity. We want justice. We want truth. Friends, this is why social justice is so important. This is why so many people are passionate about social justice. We want to see justice. But then I realize something. If Jesus is going to blow away the lawless one, and I have the work of lawlessness in me because I know I do I definitely know I've had moments if not days of wanting to be some godlike something what's going to come of me friends if we're honest with ourselves just take a moment and reflect we realize that we're all part of the problem friends God knows 
he's not surprised that we all want to be God. That is why Paul is painfully clear about where lawlessness will take us. Paul is kind of like a doctor giving us a very serious cancer diagnosis. We want it straight up and full of truth, even though it's painful. Because, friends, the path and end of those who follow the lawless one, who work the, the uh, mystery of lawlessness, is death, judgment, and condemnation. Now, none of those words are very cool to say right now in our culture. They're really uncomfortable. Everyone is basically good, right? Right? If you think that, I'm, I've thought it. I'm sure other people have thought, yeah, you know, we're messed up, but everybody's basically good. Turns I hate to say it, this is another lie of expressive individualism. If everyone is trying to be like God, and being like God is sinful, then no one is good. And friends, no one even believes this when we really look, we get down to brass tacks. At least we know some people aren't good. We only needed to look at the Me Too movement to, to see this. Those, that there are some people in this, this culture that are just evil. We, so we can't even stick to that, we can't even stick to that story. Now, of course, friends, I'm not saying that, that everybody, that people can't do good things. There are a lot of good people who do a lot of good things. Some of the kindest people I know aren't Christians. But the issue isn't good actions. The issue is where are your hearts? Where is your desire? What do you love? The issue, friends, and this is the truth, that apart from Christ, we only love ourselves. We love lawlessness and we want to be God. Apart from Christ, we do not love the truth. So if we walk in the way of lawlessness, then we will be blown away by the breath of the Lord Christ, by his very appearing. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be blown away by the breath of Christ. I want to be a part of that kingdom of justice and goodness and life. So how do I, how do I get rid of my desire for lawlessness and, and learn to desire Jesus? How do I go from the path of lawlessness to the path of Christ? What does Paul do with his friends in Thessalonian, in Thessalonica? He reminds them of the good news of Jesus. Apart from anything you've done, church, they, you are chosen and beloved in Christ. You are totally forgiven and saved from the way of lawlessness. The Thessalonians can trust God and believe in his goodness because Jesus is Lord. When we're tempted to believe the false teaching of expressive individualism, we hear the gospel either for the first time or again and respond in faith and repentance. Friends, hear the gospel. Jesus is the Savior and Lord of all. He forgives you and loves you. Surrender your life to him, and he will free you from the condemnation and mystery of lawlessness. He will blow the lawlessness out of you, out of me, with his very presence, by his very Holy Spirit, and fill us with true life and love. 
We don't have to save ourselves, friends, because Jesus has saved us. This is the way and end goal of the follower, followers of the lawful king. It's the way of the gospel. I invite you to this way. So how do we combat on this way, the, law, the lure of lawlessness? The Thessalonian church were on this path, but they were being invited, urged, beckoned to follow the way of lawlessness. How do we resist? We hear and live the gospel just as, as the Thessalonians did. First, we look to Jesus as the one who defines us. We are beloved children of God. You don't have to define yourselves, friends, and this is really, really good news because it's a burden. It really sucks. Friends, it is a burden that no soul was meant to bear because we were created to live as beloved children of God. And God will give you this identity if you let him. Second, we seek to grow in the love and truth of Christ. Thessalonians were tempted to lose sight of their hope in Christ. Paul cuts through the lie and points to the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. So friends, when you're tempted to believe that you, can, you must or you can make yourself happy to define yourself, look to Jesus. Do this in scripture, in, in, in individual and communal prayer, in corporate worship. Be enamored by his glory. Be humbled by his love. Learn to desire Jesus above all else. And friends, this is, this is really practical. But don't think this is just high and pie and, you know, sky by and by stuff. I'm really talking about what do you love? Now you spend time with and doing what you love. If you love Jesus, you'll want to spend time with him. And as you do, you will begin to desire him above all else. And if you don't, you won't. What do you love most in life? What does your time say you love most in life? And finally, ways, friends, the third way to combat expressive individualism is that we serve. Expressive individualism says, be yourself, make yourself happy, don't depend on anybody else. And Jesus says, serve others. Love others. Because I have loved you, and I have served you. And friends, when we serve others, when we share the good news of Jesus and share life together as the community of Christ, we are walking in the way of Jesus Christ. So friends, there are two ways of life. The way of lawlessness and the way of Christ. Walk in Christ and live. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you've called us to this way. We ask, we pray that you would shore us up on this path. Keep us, keep our eyes and our minds fixed on you. Help us to be enamored by your love, Lord Christ. Glory in your glory and love what you love and desire what you desire, Lord. Show us the truth so that we can see the lie. Help us to walk, Lord, faithful to you. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.